when he talks about grace and law, when he talks about uh, overcoming impurities, all of these sorts of things, he's got all kinds of ideas underneath about what it is to be good and how we become good. If I had to ask you or someone you knew uh, if you were a good person or that person was a good person, how you knew that person was a good person, what might you answer? If we're talking about a child, we might talk about his or her manners, whether or not she's respectful of others and obedient, whether he plays nicely with others in the sandbox. Or on a slightly different level, we might muse on how she benefits from rules and boundaries, helping her to be creative, growing to be the person she was created to be. Or we might bemoan how he has been raised with no real boundaries, and we all know he really needs some if he's going to thrive and not drive us all crazy. If we're talking about someone later in life, we might talk about how he was a wild teenager, but going into the military has made all the difference to him. It's given him a structure and a purpose on how he's becoming a responsible, how he is becoming a responsible and therefore perhaps a good person. We might say that she bounced from thing to thing, tried drugs, failed school, but then found a calling. She loved animals, became a veterinarian, settled down, became a truly lovely person, easy to be with, hospitable and kind, and perhaps we would say that she was good. I expect you see where I'm going. We need boundaries to grow, and those boundaries are often norms or rules, but those norms or rules and obedience to them is not what makes us good. Sometimes rules can even get in the way when they become the point, because rules, as Jesus reminds us, are always made for humanity and not the other way around. Every one of us who grows up in even a moderately stable set of circumstances, whatever the shape or challenges of our family, every one of us grows up with certain ideas and expectations of how the world is supposed to work. We might these assumptions we have as hardwired. They're the fundamental norms by which we live and navigate our way in the world. They're the ways we know what things mean. When we encounter norms that are really different than our own, it's something of a crisis. I'll never forget the couple I was preparing for marriage some years ago, and in one of our conversations, the, one, the young woman said to her intended, her beloved, in shock and high dudgeon, what do you mean we always open our presents on Christmas Eve instead of Christmas Day? <laughs> they had to work out a new understanding, and that new understanding of how they were going to operate functioned as something like a rule. We don't really need rules when we all live by the same rule, same norms, but rules develop when diversity or difference demand them. My father tells a lovely story in this regard. He went, he went up to Magdalen College, Cambridge, after doing his national service in the army, and the master of the college in those days apparently had a very distinctive accent, and I've heard this from a number of people, and he was wont to tell the incoming freshman this. He would say, gentlemen... Gentlemen, in this college we have no rules, but if you break them, we send you down. <laughs> it all worked as long as everybody understood what it meant to be a gentleman. But as the class system changed, and as the country became polyglot, and as women were admitted to the college, and many other changes where difference demanded something new, Rules were bound to follow as new understandings 
Not yet norms were negotiated. Rules might help us live together, but they don't make us good. In time, however, even these new rules or norms, new norms if that's what they become, seem not to work for some of the people some of the time. Those for whom they tend to work, tend to be conservative, tend to resist change, often belittling and blaming and otherwise denigrating those who think change is a good thing. And those who believe that change, even at personal cost, will make for a better life for everybody are liberal with respect to the rules and can and do frequently set about engaging in behavior just as unattractive as those who would keep the rules the same. But nonetheless, these are culture wars. These so-called culture wars could be played out around the Pentagon budget, gay marriage, or the really critical one, the appropriate music for the liturgy. And, and they're all part and parcel of this same dynamic of what happens when the rules don't work for everybody. But as long as the fight is about the rules, new rules versus old ones, then we're missing the fundamental point of what St. Paul is about when he talks about this terrain of law and grace. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. You have, in fact, in effect, become slaves to the norms and the rules that lead to righteousness, that lead to right relationship, the rules and norms of love, even recognizing that getting there involves a lot of learning and conflict along the way. I came across a good example of how this can work in a community uh, some years ago. I was part of an ecumenical group of clergy, of parish pastors, and we were privileged, uh, a rare privilege, I might add, to be uh, guests in an Amish home uh, with the guest of honor being an Amish bishop. Now, the Amish, you may or may not know, are out of the Anabaptist tradition. They're the horse and buggy people, the strange costumes. Um, they're really, in some ways, a separatist purity sect of Christians. Um, they speak a kind of German that modern German speakers can understand. Um, and the community is very tight, and there are plenty of rules and norms that make it so. And this bishop that we were with was a liberal. He was a, we, none of us would recognize him as a liberal, but in his community he was a liberal <laughs> because he was talking to us. And, and he was also a liberal in that he allowed relationship to govern some of his interpretations of the rules and norms of that community. You may or may not know that, that uh, there is something in the Amish community called shunning. Someone who breaks the rules has to be shunned. And the, about the worst thing you can do is go find another community of faith after you have chosen to be baptized. Well, this bishop's son had worked out his own rebelliousness by going and finding an even more conservative, if you can believe it, an even more conservative Christian group saying the Amish were f lost the plot. But he did that after baptism. And so this bishop, leader in the faith, was obligated, he felt, to shun his son. We said, well, what, how do you do that? What, what's that like for you? He said, well, it's not too bad, really. 
I think that's what he said. I, I couldn't really understand him, but I think that's what he said. And what the point was, he said, well, the way it works is this. He says, when my son comes to dinner, we have to serve him as a guest. He's not allowed to help himself from the communal dish. And that was about the extent of what it meant for him to be shunned. In other words, this bishop had found a way to allow the interpretation of the norms and rules of the community not to supersede his love for his own son, even though his own son had doubtless called him, caused him great embarrassment by his choices. The bishop did not let the rules be applied so literally that he couldn't be in relationship. The rules of community were important, but so is being a slave to love, a slave to right relationship rather than right rule following. Now, there's something else that I think was important that was going on with that good bishop from which we can learn. I suspect that it was terribly difficult for him socially in that community to have a son who had engaged in what his community would identify as something like apostasy. We can be sure that there was some conversation around about what the bishop had done wrong to let his son make these choices. How could someone who couldn't even manage his own family be a leader in the church? Blah, 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 blah. You can, you can hear it. And he, was, he had this shame very publicly out there. And it's kind of a death. And what he did was had to live with that kind of dying to self. We all at some level have to come to this point where we die to self. A friend of mine once described his divorce as being like being strip searched on Peachtree Street. <laughs> there's a certain sense in which when it's all out there, there's really nothing that you need to fear. And so you can make choices that might be controversial, but which really are about doing the next right thing, about loving the best you can, as generously and as freely and as gracefully as possible. And so part of what Paul's talking about is this business of our getting freed from enslavement to sin, freed up so that we can, in fact, experience and receive and be under the law of grace. Neither his family, this bishop's family, nor this bishop's community were probably quite as pure as he had hoped. But he was able to navigate knowing that the wages of sin is death and yet still choosing to do the next right thing, loving his son quite publicly, loving his people as best he could, sharing his story even with the likes of a mixed group of pastors and generally getting on with the business of living the gift of life that had been given to him. So rules are good. They need to be changed. They need to be renegotiated from time to time. They need to serve rather than restrict righteousness. They need to make sure that the vulnerable and the powerless are included or there is revolution. And we are most likely to be good when we are not constrained from making our love manifest even while trying to honor the norms of our community. We are most likely to be good when we have died in some respect to ourselves. We are most likely to be good when we've honored the rules but made ourselves subject to learning the law of love. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, 
You are not under law. You are under grace. So let us, with the good news of the gospel in mind, respond in thanksgiving and in prayer. If there's something that is secret in your life of which you are ashamed, consider how you might bring that into the light. Perhaps the right of reconciliation in our prayer book can be useful for that. Because if you do, you'll be freed up for love. And if there's nothing in your life, then good for you. You have died to self, and you bear witness to love in your life. Let us respond to the gospel in silence and in prayer.